Linda. And this is Leslie. With Less Talk. Leslie, what is our topic today? Oh, I'm so excited about our topic today. Our topic is about neurotherapy. And I am so excited with our special guest. And I would love for her to introduce herself and bring it back to me so I can give a little info about our special guest. Hi, I'm Dr. Kathleen Jackson. I am a licensed clinical psychologist and a board certified neurotherapist. I am the owner uh, of Optimal Neuroholistic Services. And I recently wrote a book, The Couch Experience, A Guide to Good Therapy. Wow, I cannot wait to hear about this book, Dr. Jackson. And here's the thing, this is why I'm really excited about it because we know that May is Mental Health Month. And I know that we're, approaching the spring and we're getting ready to go through that change in our lives seasonally and also mentally. And I believe you're gonna bring out some very helpful and helpful information that our viewing audience will glean from. I have a question for you to start off with. Yeah. How does therapy help relationship? Is it just for marriages? No, and I think sometimes people think it's just for, when they think of relationships, they think therapy, when they go, and get therapy is just for like their marriage or if they're um, like partnered up in some way, but therapy can help with all relationships. So even if you go initially for like, cause you're, you're a couple, uh, maybe you're married or you just have a partner and you're hoping to get married, um, those same skills that you learn with your therapist, they transfer over to everything. We don't have to keep those things compartmentalized. They can transfer it over into your relationship with your boss and your coworkers, your friendships, and anybody else that you have to deal with, especially if those things are a conflictual relationship. So uh, when things are going well, we never, we don't need help, right? <laughs> we don't need help. But for those times when things get a little tough, that's where therapy can come in and be helpful. That's good. What is it like to have a relationship with the therapist? Well, there's so much to say about it. We could have a whole half hour just like relationship with your therapist. But the first thing is that you want to have something that's a good fit. So like you ladies do this podcast together, right? And you wouldn't do it together if there was not a good fit, if you didn't have a good connection, probably years of, of connection and, and working well together. You want that same spark with your therapist. If you get with somebody and it's just not like you don't have that foundation of a fit, you are going to dread going to therapy and probably drop out prematurely. Every therapist is not for every person, just like uh, every patient is not the right fit for me as a therapist. And so when you are looking for a therapist, if you get somebody, I always tell people give it three tries because people will be like, I didn't like that person. And then they drop out on the first try. They don't return back. They don't go uh, try to look for anybody else, right? Um, but if you give it three tries and it still is just not a fit, no worries. Let the therapist know first. Don't just drop out and, and uh, schedule an appointment and be a no-show. Call them and let them know, you know, I really don't think this is a fit. And if you do that, the thing that works well with that is because they might be able to give you other recommendations so you do not have to go all the way back to square one. Okay. It has happened to the best of us. I actually had to do that a couple months ago with somebody. It just wasn't a fit. I, I, I loved working with her, but she needed something else that I, I just couldn't give her. Mm -hmm. And so she did let me know that she wasn't going to return. And, and I said to her, 
let me let me recommend a few other places for you that I think that will be good for you. They were still black women because that was very important to her. And then some different varying styles. So one of those should should have worked for her. And then she didn't have to go all the way back to, to like square one trying to dig out and look and find somebody for her therapy. That's the hardest thing is taking that first step to make a phone call. So I can imagine if it doesn't work out. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard for a lot of people just that first step of um, making that call and scheduling that appointment. But when you make that first call, um, sometimes we get it right, sometimes we don't. Um, but when you make that first call, just ask a lot of questions. Ask a lot of questions to feel comfortable and to see if what they offer will truly be a benefit to you. Mm-hmm. I don't care. And this is coming from a person with a lot of credentials. <laughs> I don't care how many credentials they have. I don't care if they have doctor or not before their name. Um, You need somebody who what they do is actually going to work for you. So if they start rattling off all these uh, degrees, (laughs) all these certifications and trainings, ask how those things will actually help you with what you're coming in for. Don't, you know, a lot of people, okay, I'm going to tell you guys a story. I had a lady that I tested. She, um, she, she, and, and, and once I finished testing with her, she, I recommended therapy for her. She was adamant about working with me, like, just like, but I didn't have space. And so I recommended another woman of color um, to her who I recommended a lot of people too, because she was great. We had a similar style, um, but she didn't have doctorate for her name, like doctor so-and-so for her name. She did not want to go to her. <laughs> like she was like, I don't want, I don't, she, you know, she doesn't have doctor and this and that. And I was like, what? She tried it though, because I, I just couldn't get her in. She sent me a message like two or three weeks afterwards. They had seen each other maybe two or three times. And she said she loved working with her. And so don't get hung up on all those titles. Um, there are some people out here who are not good clinicians, but they have a lot of, of titles. And then there are some people with fewer um, um, certifications and, and titles, but they are great clinicians. So you want to make sure that you have a good fit. That is the foundation for the therapeutic relationship between uh, therapist and client, therapist and patient. If you don't have that, everything else that you try to do will crumble. Wow, that's very good. And you know, Dr. Jackson, I have a question for you only because you had mentioned um, African-Americans. What is the stigma, uh, for lack of a better word, you know, as a community, we have a tendency to think that, oh, we don't have mental illnesses in our community. Yeah. How do we get around that and still seek the help that we need? I think I still don't have me here for like over an hour. <laughs> <laughs> that one too is a whole thing of it in and of itself. And I'm gonna try to make it as succinct as I can. Um, we have been, you know, culturally we've been raised, especially if it's African-Americans, the, the umbrella of black includes everything, Jamaican, uh, American, uh, Caribbean, American, this American, you know, it, it includes a lot and people trans, you know, they transfer these two things or, um, they, they interchange the two words and it's not true. So for African-Americans, those of us from, uh, from Africa who were brought here as slaves, we will, um, or enslaved, because we were not slaves. I'm, I'm not yeah. going to get off my, my soapbox here, but we were brought here and enslaved. Um, th- we have a, the unique thing of having to be strong, and it came about because of slavery. 
And so we're still holding on to some of those hats that don't even, they don't even match our outfits anymore. They don't work for us anymore. And we're still keeping those hats on. And so to get through that stigma, you have to first just try to realize that you need help. It is okay to reach out for help. And in fact, we have a plethora of help out here. If you broke your leg, you would go to a medical doctor, you would pray to God for that help <laughs> and trust that God is gonna work um, for, through that doctor for that help. The same is true of most of, of us too, who are therapists. And so if you are trusting God for a physical healing, you have to trust the process and trust God to help you lead you to the right therapist and to work through that therapist too. That's good. That's very good. Yeah. I love that because I think, um, like you said, we have a tendency to think that we're so strong and we don't need help, but we do need help. I mean, we were designed to have relationships in order to support each other. (laughs) Correct. Am I right? And this is just another relationship. For that help, for that support, for that guidance. Now, I used it when you work through something. Usually, we, we talked about in other episodes, even for therapy, I'm coming to you with problem A, but problem A might not be the root of it. How does therapy help find the root of it? Good clinicians or good mental health cl- clinicians know how to tease it out of you. And to see where else does this show up in your life and then find out where it started. And then they go back and they're helping you to make some amends with all of that throughout time so that you can be your best self now. Wow. Wow. Could you explain um, neurotherapy? Because when I hear that word, I hear the brain. Yeah. So can you talk about that a little more? Yes, ma'am. With neurotherapy, it's a brain-based therapy. So um, there are a lot of people and there's a lot of a lot of different types of therapy besides just talking. People think when uh, of mental health, they just think of, you know, being on the couch, sitting on the couch or laying on the couch and talking. But there are a lot of people who they just don't have that kind of insight. Um, they're not talkers. And so there's a lot of different types of, of other therapies that can still get to the heart of the issue and still allow for that uh, healing with that without having to say so many words. And neurotherapy is one of those. And so with neural therapy specifically, it um, comes with an assessment first where you are assessing the whole brain and that's called a QEEG. And then once you, once you have that done, then we identify what's going on in different parts of the brain and if things are operating too high or too low. And anything that is too high or too low, you retrain those areas of the brain to operate more at a at a, at a consistent um, base. So more within the, the parameters of where the brain should be operating. Mm-hmm. So like for a lot of people who have um, either anxiety or they have uh, ADHD, sometimes we see dysregulation in the frontal lobe. And so then we put electrodes, it's not shock. <laughs> I don't want people to feel like it's, nothing goes in. It's just reading the surface area of your brain. And so we put electrodes on the brain and then it uses operant conditioning where you're looking at something or you're hearing something and the more your brain operates the way that it should, you will hear or see more of that. And when it's not operating well, you don't get the reward of hearing or seeing whatever that is on the screen. How do you treat issues like that? And the reason why I'm asking is because I had a very close family member who suffered from depression Mm -hmm. and um, she suffered from depression most of all of my life that I had known her. So how do you, 
correctly treat someone with that type of issue? With uh, depression per yeah. se? There's mm -hmm. a lot of different things that can be done um, with depression. So medication is a good, is a good thing. Uh, for for depression because you can go without you can try without medication but a lot of the times that I've seen people uh, have a harder time just trying to like really take in the components of talk therapy or or yes. neurotherapy or any other type of therapy without first correcting some of the stuff that's going on in the brain which medication will do that doesn't mean they have to stay on the medication for their whole life it just means it's going to help to to get their brain back into like that zone where it needs to be. So then, then they can take in some of the um, different techniques that the therapist is talking about or the different things that they're talking about with, um, or that they're doing with something like neurotherapy. Yeah. So neurotherapy would work well for depression as well. And there are other ones too. I'm just gonna give you three. And then TMS is for really persistent um, depression, which it sounds like that family member went through. It seems like anything else she might have tried may not have been working. And people who have tried a lot of different uh, other types of things, TMS usually um, is helpful for that. And it's the last type of effort. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and just to be candid with the audience, that person was my mother. She suffered with depression all of my life. Mm -hmm. And I know that um, she was on medication for it too. And sometimes does that even lead to... Um, suicidal tendencies if it's not treated correctly. Am I correct? With depression, yes. But any of the different mental health concerns can, can lead to it if unaddressed. They will um, impact your self-esteem and start to make you feel really bad. So if you're, in, if you're going through something in this untreated, then your self-esteem starts going down. Now we start to like thinking about suicide becomes like an option, something that you actually start to consider. Wow. And something that I never even thought about how the, I mean, it's just, there's so much complexities in how we're designed. Yeah. And I, I just think about the scripture that says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Yes. And it's so true how all of these things work together to make a, the whole person. And, and you sound like Dr. Jackson, you're addressing the whole person. And I am a holistic <laughs> psychologist. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, because if we just create a part of a person, we might be able to, it's more like patching it up. You're just patching up this thing and then everything starts to go haywire over here. Then we run over here. That's kind of like a crisis-based um, way of addressing things. You want to address everything, get everything nice and stable so people just feel good overall. Yeah, yeah. And I have to ask this other question. Um, and I'm sorry, Linda, for monopolizing, but I'm a teacher. <laughs> and I have students that I have had in my classroom over the years that have had ADHD, had, were diagnosed with ADHD. And a lot of times, well, most cases, they were treated with medication. And I don't know how they're doing now as adults, because this was a long time ago. But are there other ways to help children who suffer with ADHD? Yes, um, medication use uh, oftentimes is a part of that um, equation. But the thing with me, and, and I, I hate to take it back to like um, race, but a lot of people of color don't know about the other options to even try them before medication. And medication is more often um, suggested as the, as the first thing. Like they don't even suggest trying anything else where uh, having worked in primarily white um, organizations, I see that that's not the case with other 
um, with other kids <laughs> of other races. Wow. And so they will suggest something like neurotherapy or behavioral uh, therapy first. And if things aren't continuing or they're not improving at the rate that people want, then they will start to talk about medication. And they usually start them off on a really low dose, whereas sometimes in um, communities of color, they start them off on higher doses. And yeah. so parents, if they know that, they have the right to ask for low doses and to ask for alternatives to uh, medication and try that first. Mm -hmm. And if, uh, if medication is still truly needed as a part of the overall treatment plan, then somebody will say, I think some medication might be, might be good in conjunction with these other things. And um, before we, you know, we came on and when I've talked to Linda before, we talked about nutrition. Nutrition is a huge part with ADHD, huge. And so sometimes when you can tweak some of that stuff that is being fed to the kids and looking at the additives that are in foods and looking at the sugar content, you can help to reduce some of those symptoms that are related to ADHD. That's good. This is a good message, Dr. Jackson, that I don't think a lot of people um, readily know about yeah. um, because you're right. We just go treat the surface, but we don't get into the real crux of the matter. And I'm, I'm so glad, Linda, you have Dr. Jackson on with us because she's <laughs> speaking some very good truths to yeah. our audience. Yes. Yeah. Can you share some myth that people believe in that should be known, you know, of, of just your practice or just in life in general? One of the big, biggest myths with mental health is that people think you have to be crazy to get therapy. You don't. Even sometimes I have some patients who are fairly like on, more on the healthy end, but given that we're in a pandemic, right? <laughs> and things are a little bit more stressful, a little harder. Um, they, they knew that they needed somebody for extra support because they did not want to wear out their family, their friends, uh, with always talking about it. And their family and friends are going through the pandemic as well. And so you do not have to be whatever crazy is supposed to be. <laughs> what is normal? What is crazy? Right. And so you don't have to be what people think of as crazy. Some people also think, uh, another myth is that people think once they're in therapy, they think they're going to be in therapy forever and ever and ever. That's not true. Um, a lot of it depends on you, though. <laughs> if you are in therapy and you are hemming and hawing and you're just making like real small baby steps, <laughs> you are going to be in there much longer uh, than somebody who puts in the work and they're doing stuff between sessions to get better and get better more quickly. And it also depends on the severity of your symptoms and what your diagnosis is and uh, the type of treatment that your therapist is using at the time. So it doesn't have to be. I've seen some people be in uh, therapy for a really short period of time. They felt better and maybe they reduced, e either they reduced their sessions down where they're hardly coming and they're just doing like general check-ins. When some people uh, come, they get better with what they came in for plus some of the extras that you were talking about uh, earlier, and they, uh, they go. And if they need help again, they just reach out, but they never return all the way back to where they were in the beginning. How do they know it's working to the point that I need to switch or this is not working for me? You mean like for the type of therapy or the, the therapist or both? Both. Both. With the therapist, if it's just like, if you're not being, feel like you're being heard, or um, if it doesn't feel like it's really addressing the issue that you want, 
those are some indicators. There's a lot more too. Those are some indicators you might want to uh, try another therapist. But before you go, like I said earlier, I feel like I'm on to tell the truth. Before you go, <laughs> uh, before you go, talk that over with your therapist because sometimes it's not really what the therapist is doing. Sometimes it's you. You're afraid of the change. Um, you're uh, afraid of the challenge to do something different. And so if you talk that through and you see that it's more just your hesitance or your avoidance, you might want to stick with that uh, therapist. But if it's really not working and it's just not gelling, this person, when you talk to them, it's, it's makes you feel worse, then it makes you feel better. Um, and you don't always leave therapy feeling better. So <laughs> I'm gonna say that too. But if it's making you feel worse, like it's, it's like each time you go, it's not, it's, it's not just that you're bringing up things that are um, can be difficult to reflect on, but it just makes you feel worse for some reason. Um, those are things you should address and, and then decide if you wanna see another therapist. And with, um, with, if therapy is working, it's all the general stuff. Like we kind of mentioned a little bit um, earlier, are your relationships getting better? <laughs> are people uh, happier to be around you? <laughs> Those kind of things. Um, is your thinking more clear? Are you a little bit more productive in some areas that you were stagnant in and had low motivation in? Those are some of the kind of things that you can say, like, I'm starting to get better. Like we we're doing some good work <laughs> in these sessions. So, If somebody who never went to therapy before, what do they expect the first time? Like, is it actually just sitting there telling you my problems and that's it? You say, okay. Mm, yes and no. <laughs> it's a lot of uh, paperwork in the first session that you go over. And some, some therapists have you do that stuff beforehand so you can have that first full hour just to uh, talk. And so it's kind of like this, how you guys are asking me questions and then I give you some answers. Um, the first session is, is a little bit more like that where therapists, they follow different uh, lines of questioning to pull out what the issue is. And oftentimes the issue is much more beyond what they come in and say that the issue is like, oh, I have anxiety. There, then you find out there's some trauma, there's anxiety there's some difficulty with relationships. <laughs> and yeah. so all of that kind of comes out with the type of questioning and that's called an intake interview uh, for, mental, for mental health. And there's, they're really structured kind of questions where we uh, figure out what the issue is, um, how the issue came about, like where it started in your life and how long you've been going through it. And um, also start to identify some of your goals for therapy. And then in that second section, you'll talk about most of the time, it, everything is not always this linear, um, yeah. but most of the time, like that second session or the third, um, depending on how much you, you did in the first session, then you'll go over the actual treatment plan, which is what steps you will take to help with the relationship, with the anxiety, with the difficulty talking to people and all that different stuff. So the actual steps that you'll take. The questions we're asking. These kind of, okay, that everything that I said today is actually like, I didn't even have to think a whole lot about this because I recently wrote the book, The Couch Experience that uh, you talked about earlier. Uh, your copy will not have this gray line on it. Mine is a proof copy. <laughs> <laughs> Yours will look really pretty. Um, but I wrote this book and it has everything in there from A to Z with therapy, including my favorite section. So if you see me in the street or on the internet, 
you just mentioned something about the appendix section. That was my <laughs> favorite part of the book because it has a lot of forms that help you through each phase of therapy from beginning to end. When you're calling therapists and you're looking for somebody to the first appointment, to all the appointments in between, and even all the way up to termination. So when you're done with therapy. Is there anything you want to say to the audience before we close? So people, <laughs> people of all races, shapes, size, colors, ages, please consider uh, therapy as a part of your overall wellness. So just like you have a doctor, a medical doctor for your physical health and for people who want to work on nutrition, they get some specialized person on nutrition. People who want to work on fitness, they get work with a fitness uh, expert. Add in a therapist to that, right? And then you have somebody to help you with your emotional well-being, which helps. It's a part of your overall well-being. So if you are, you got all this nice and, um, and together, everything else kind of falls in line. Just like you want your spiritual life to be in line in there too. So we'll throw five things in there. <laughs> but get yourself a therapist. Uh, you don't have to be crazy. It doesn't have to take you forever. And you can find somebody and therapy can be fun. It's just lighthearted. You're just talking to somebody, but you're, you're getting a lot more um, benefits and a lot less biased <laughs> recommendations for the help that you need. I love it. This was amazing. This was great. And you know what? I know that I want to hear more from Dr. Jackson. So Linda, <laughs> we're going to have her back. Am I correct? Yes. She's going to talk about nutrition. She's really good with that. She does challenges and stuff. Yes. <laughs> I can't wait to have her back to share with us her insight on that. And listen, if you like what you heard, and I know you did because I did, Linda liked it. So did Dr. Jackson because she <laughs> wealth of knowledge to this channel today. Please be sure to hit the like button. Subscribe to our channel. We want to get this message out to as many people as we can because we know that there are other people on the other side that need to hear what Dr. Jackson has shared with us today. So share, share, share. And listen, this is really what it's all about. It's about life's lessons. And we heard a life lesson today. And it's about laughter. And it's about love. Because the overall goal in everything that we do and say is to make relationships that last. Yes, thank you. Bye, everyone.